Hello and welcome to all of you fellow worms. I am your host, Justin, and this is the Worm Burner Podcast. I hope all of you are doing amazing. And before we get into today's episode, I had a little bit of housekeeping to do, as we all know. Uh, I would be doing shoutouts. If I had posted a question this week for the uh, question of the week, so <laughs> I deeply apologize for that. Uh, there will be a question this week. Uh, it just slipped my mind with everything going on, and I will I will make sure and pay it back to you all. Um, I apologize, and so let's go ahead and get into the episode. And for this section, we are going to be going back to the third episode of the Worm Burner podcast and looking at some of the results that I had called out uh, from the previous matches that we were going to be having this next week uh, during the episode that was being launched on Wednesday. So from Wednesday, last Wednesday, to this current time of taping, um, the results have been published and obviously the games have been played. So I wanted to go over the games that I had called out. Uh, the first one was the Columbus Crew against Toronto FC. That was a decent game. It was 4-2 finished, uh, with the winners being Toronto FC. Uh, goal shootout. So from an attacking point of view, it was something uh, to watch as a spectacle. Uh, so Toronto pulled it off. It was a deserved win, at least in, in my opinion, watching the game or watching the highlights of the game. Um, as well as another game that was very, very deserving, and one I didn't really expect was the San Jose Earthquakes and the Sacramento Republic. That game finished 6-1 on the final score, and uh, not saying that San Jose is bad, but I did not expect for them to play as as well as they did. Uh, Coming into the game with the Sacramento Republic, being a team that is most likely or is, uh, as of latest reports, they are going to be in the MLS. I am a little bit skeptical now of them having a positive impact coming into the league. Um, going to the next game, though, the New York Red Bulls and Inter Miami, that game was canceled. Um, I really, really wish that that game actually happened, but it didn't. Alas, it's okay. Uh, we'll get it eventually, or even in the MLS season, we'll be able to get that matchup. Um, going to the next one, Orlando City against the Chicago Fire. That one actually ended a 2-2 draw. It was something that I didn't really expect Orlando City to do, um, but... They were able to pull it off. Something that I feel Orlando has a problem with is clenching games that they need to. Um, Yes, it was a draw, but it wasn't a loss. And that was something to me that was a positive uh, for the season coming up, especially being in the competitions that we're going to be. We're going to be competing in the League's Cup, uh, which is going to be pitting some of the best teams in North America. So uh, I'm excited for that. And then going to the final game that had happened in previous time, the Chattanooga Red Wolves against the Louisville City. Uh, against Louisville City, um, I, as correctly predicted, it was a very good matchup, a close matchup, a three-two finishing with Louisville City coming out as the winner. Uh, they are the favorite. Those or that team was. Uh, the one that, at least in my opinion, had the better track resume uh, going into the game. But um, still, it was a good game. I wanted to bring attention to it, and I'm glad I did because it was a, a good, good matchup. Uh, 
Now, uh, going into this next week, I want to call out some more games that will be happening. Um, so let's go ahead and take some time and go over that. Um, we will be having a match on Wednesday. There is going to be a matchup between Dallas FC and Austin FC. It's going to be a Texas Derby um, going to happen. And I'm excited for that. That's going to be something that will pique my interest, especially with a possible derby uh, on the road. So uh, let's go ahead and call that one uh, to happen. And then on Saturday, there's not really that many matchups this week. It's kind of sad to say. But anyways, regardless, on Saturday, we're going to have the Vancouver Whitecaps playing the Chicago Fire. So uh, that's another matchup that I would say is another good one that will most likely uh, turn some heads, at least in my opinion. And now we are going to be going into the player analysis for this week's episode. And we are back. So the positions that we are going to be breaking down this week is going to be in central midfield and slightly attacking midfield this week. Uh, in honor of our special guest this week, Brandon Brown, um, I wanted to go ahead and break that down. So uh, with that being said, uh, the attacking midfield position is one that is rather simple to explain. It is a midfield position that is higher up the pitch, uh, but has defensive as well as offensive priorities. And so they prioritize the attacking mindset over the defensive mindset. So that's something that is very common when it comes to positioning in soccer. The attacking midfield position obviously favors attacking because it's in the name number one. Number two, uh, they are further up the pitch, much like a poacher for the striker position. They are further up the pitch than a complete forward is. They are coming back and defending, as I had stated in episode three. The attacking midfield position is one that is still high, but they will have defensive priorities to be able to balance with the attacking. Uh, but they still have a major impact on the attacking mindset. So we'll have some roles like advanced midfields or advanced playmakers as well as attacking midfields. Um, so being an attacking midfield and an attacking midfield mindset, it's kind of hard to explain, but uh, they are, again, are further forward as well as an, an advanced playmaker. They sit back a little deeper because they do have slightly more defensive priorities when it comes to an attacking midfield position, but they are still higher up the pitch, providing, again, a playmaking experience or a playmaking a situation when it comes to the attacking side of the ball. That doesn't say that they don't defend. That doesn't say that they don't come back and make defensive plays because they do. They have to when it comes to the team itself. You can't just be an attacking player all the time when it comes to soccer. And that is something, at least in my opinion, I see a flaw in with the youth game. So, Having that perfect balance between attack and it and defense with a singular player can be very, very, very important. And so having a disconnect between defense and offense, in some instances with American sports, 
that's something that you can see very, very clearly. And it's something that you can point out like, okay, hey, for example, American football, you have defense, you have offense. It is very, very clear. It's laid out. It's point blank right there in your face. Soccer, it's the same 11 players that go on the pitch that come off unless you make subs, but that's technicalities. It's the same exact players. It's the ex exact same field. There's no differing markers when it comes to the field versus attack and defense. There is no difference. And America isn't, at least in my opinion, used to something like that. Having American football, having, uh, at least in some aspects, Basketball, I feel like basketball has become a lot more attacking-based. Uh, I mean, let's be honest, when I first started watching basketball when I was younger, uh, they were putting up 70, 80, 90 points. Now it's not uncommon to have over 110-point games in basketball. We're getting sidetracked, but that is the main point that I'm trying to provide, is in soccer, it's not flat-out attack and defense. There is a very big difference or there is a there is no difference at all when it comes to soccer in general when it comes to the split between attack and defense now slipping back a little further on the pitch it's going to be the central midfield position uh those again this is a very good position to have a perfect balance between attack and defense you should be doing nothing more on attack or defense uh, over the other. It is a perfect balance between the two. You are attacking and defending uh, either within the same play or you you don't have a priority towards either or. Now, if you're giving a, a role that is different, that is when you need to prioritize attack and defense. Now, with the central midfield position, there are is again a central midfield role and that is again something that at least in my opinion is kind of complicated um, being a attacking midfielder there is that perfect balance that i had stated before but you can also have a deep line playmaker in central midfield as well so that is something that's different it's a different role and it prioritizes that defensive mindset that someone needs to make as well as you can also have an advanced playmaker in central midfield. So again, one of the roles that you can assess or put into uh, from an attacking midfield point can be brought back into a central midfield point if you need more uh, depth or more players back on the pitch. Um, so it can happen. It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon at all. And so with those kinds of players, it has a different mentality. So with an advanced playmaker in central midfield, they have the attacking mindset. They have the attacking uh, persona when it comes to their style of play, but they do have slightly more defensive duties of trying not to go too far forward in some instances, but not all. And that's up to the coach. That is up to the person that is dictating how the formation is being run. And being able to assess what the player is good at. Now, I would never, ever, 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 ever take a attack-minded player or someone that benefits a lot from being an attacking player 
and put them in a deep-lying playmaker role. <laughs> it's No, you should not do it. If you have the mindset of doing it, uh, no, don't do it. Please don't. So when it comes to those particular instances, you need to be able to read how the situation will progress, how what formations, and, and that's just the coach's duty just in general. And being a person that spectates it, being a person that sees it as a fan, let's make this common knowledge, like making the culture that, again, we'll talk about in the interview with Brendan Brown, or what Brendan has brought up is the culture of America needs to happen. It needs to happen. So with that, um, I feel that there is a adequate depth of explanation with the central midfield position and with the attacking midfield position. Uh, there are some roles that we will be getting into in later episodes, but the general premise, at least in central midfield, is that there is no attacking or defensive mindset that is proactively more important unless the role is given to them. Central midfield is where the balance between attack and defense is made, in my opinion. Now, some coaches can have that line higher. They can have that line lower, and that is completely up to the coach. That is completely up to the team itself. So, that is something that we'll be covering in later episodes. Now, for this next bit, I am so happy to present to you my very first interview for the Ron Brunner podcast with my special guest. We will be right back. And before getting into the interview, I wanted to take a quick second and make a disclaimer here. Uh, I played with the audio many, many times, uh, making sure that the uh, it wasn't going too loudly in, in some aspects, as well as with the in comparison towards me talking generally in the podcast. Um, please lower your volume at this point, at least in my own opinion, and raise it as needed. Uh, it is a little bit more loud than the rest of the podcast audio, so uh, just a quick disclaimer here. This next section that we are going to be covering for the Worm Burner podcast, I wanted to bring in a good friend of mine. Uh, he is a ex-player for the Extramural Soccer Club at the University of North Alabama, and he is currently a U16 coach for the Shoals Soccer Club in Florence, Alabama. Uh, welcome, Brandon Brown, to the show. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, before we get into a deep dive uh, with the questions that I have for you, is there anything that you want to relay to everyone uh, over your playing experience? Or uh, like I had mentioned before, the U16 coaching position, uh, is there anything that I haven't stated that you'd like to, like to express to everyone uh, over the playing experience that you have? Yeah, for sure. I'll uh, give a quick background. I uh, grew up in South Alabama. I've lived in Alabama my whole life and, um, you know, played peewee soccer there at the age of, of four and five and got out there and ran around and enjoyed it, but really didn't pick soccer back up until uh, I was about the age of 14. And, you know, just watching soccer one morning on ESPN really just got me hooked. And I had a friend invite me out to play with the club team that she was with and I was pretty athletic so naturally it was it was easy to kind of compete um, early on and, and didn't really know a lot about soccer but thoroughly enjoyed it 
Um, so in eighth grade, started playing club ball. And then in ninth grade, we actually formed a high school team. Uh, played for that high school team all the way through my senior year. Uh, and then switched over to, like you said, University of North Alabama, where we uh, had a team played there for three years and experienced some good success there. And, and now I've moved on to more of just a coaching role uh, where I've been in the Shoal Soccer Club for going on five years now. Wow, five years. That's And with that experience as well, I did want to also state that you had made it for the U16s. You made the semifinals three years in a row and then once to the final as well. Yeah, so actually we uh, – so I move up with the team as they go. So we started okay. out at – I guess it was U14, and, and this past oh. season was U18. Okay. Um, but yeah, so we moved up, uh, the first year I was with them, we didn't even make it to the state playoffs, um, oh, wow. lost, lost in uh golden goal over time that first year to make it to the playoffs. But after that, we actually, um, the following year won, um, the division two B bracket state championship. Wow. And we stepped up to a little harder competition and won, the Division Two A bracket championship, so that was a huge success for that team. Yeah. Uh, and then this past year, we came up just short uh, in the final four. Oh man, well, um, and then you were also stating as well that um, there would be a new group of individuals uh, this upcoming year as well. So that was something that you'd be looking into uh, and basically working with kind of a new group of of individuals. Yeah, absolutely. So the older you get, you know, you kind of start developing a different group within our club and in this area. And, and so the oldest group around here would be your U19 squad. And and okay. so a lot of these guys already have jobs. Some of them are in college, um, mm-hmm. but really looking forward to having the caliber of players that we're going to have this fall. Well, awesome. Um, any any preseason goals? I know that it's a bit advanced for that, but <laughs> uh, any any goals for this next season? Um, that's a good question. I've uh, been out this uh, spring already. My assistant coach and I, Tucker, going around and watching some of the high school teams and um, seeing what players we need to bring together uh, for this team in the fall. Um, but no, just excited to hopefully get out there and have uh, kind of a post-COVID normal season. Yeah, uh, that's for so sure. So we can have, you know, regular practices and a regular game schedule. Um, as long as we get that and we can get out there and play, that makes me the happiest. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that, it it just makes it so simple just having soccer in general especially with covid going on i know that here down here in orlando like man it, it soccer's scarce and it's it's just i just want to start playing again that's all i really want to do so i i definitely understand that sentiment of just wanting to get on the field in general um so before uh, going on to anything else i wanted to go back uh to when you first started watching soccer um, is there anyone in particular that you really that stuck with you as a player, like that you looked up to, or is that uh, out of that range? Like, or did you just look at everyone the same, pretty pretty much? So I would say, um, you know, first and foremost, I'm a huge Manchester United fan, um, um, and I think you know one of the the reasons that is is. In the U.S., when I was growing up, if you turn the TV on, uh, 
ESPN would be really the only channel that was carrying soccer at the time. And, you know, typically that was only going to be your larger games and United was having all the success back then. Um, So I quickly became a Manchester United fan um, and really one of the great playmakers of that time um, was Ryan Giggs. Um, I know most of us know Ryan Giggs and, Mm -hmm. and love to watch him play, but I think some of the things that stood out to me about him were um, his presence on the field. He was out there kind of to do his business and get the win, but he was also going to do it with a smile. Yeah. He was going to make sure that everybody on the field, on the pitch, was out there doing what they needed to do. And I thoroughly enjoyed watching his passion for that. Yeah, even though I am a Manchester City fan, that is something that I always saw with Ryan Giggs was he always had a personality <laughs> with him. It was crazy. I was just like, all right. It's it's it was pleasurable to see when it wasn't against my own team, basically. <laughs> um, um, so a quick side question with that as well. Um, I feel like at least personally for me, when it comes to having a person that you look up to within the U.S. game, there's not really that many. I feel like within the soccer community, like, of course, you have Landon Donovan and you have um, Clint Dempsey and you have uh, Michael Bradley as well, at least currently right now. There's not that much per se of the world-class talent. Do you think that that's a huge negative right now? Or do you think that within the soccer community here in the U.S., they can still be uh, the people that can push the U.S. towards what they need to achieve? Yeah, great question. Um, You know, I would say to your point, you know, there are some soccer personalities. Uh, within the U.S. national team um, and playing in the U.S., uh, most of which are retired now. But there hasn't really ever been that huge U.S. soccer personality that reaches around the globe. I mean, Landon Donovan was great and experienced some success and uh, overseas, but um, it really hasn't been large enough to go up against the likes of of LeBron James uh, and Babe Ruth back in the day, uh, Mm -hmm. Chipper Jones, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all those players of different sports that we know have such a huge following. I don't think that that any U.S. player really has a following. Now, I'm excited about all of the kids coming up in the national team. We have a very young team this year, and they have a lot of great experience overseas um, with the likes of Pulisic and Gio Reyna and all of them. So excited to see what they can do. Um, but I did, I really looked up to Clint Dempsey um, during his playing time, you know, just a, a Southerner, a Texan that's out there <laughs> on the pit, oh, yeah. getting the job done however he needs to. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed watching him play. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's something that, at least for someone that wants to improve the U.S. game myself, I feel like that identity of getting down and dirty when you need to, rolling up the sleeves and and making sure that the job's done, I feel like that that can be a part of the identity that the U.S. actually has. Uh, Eventually, once we do create that larger one that's able to complete with or to compete with like the Englands and the Frances. Um, So that's something that I, I agree with. 
So back to you, being a player and a coach, what are some of the advantages that you see now when you're coaching, when you've been coaching for five years, uh, being a player for so long, what's something that's a big advantage? So I'll talk from my time at uh, North Alabama um, when we played there, um, kind of being a player coach and out there trying to to run some drills and do team formation, but also being able to enjoy being on the pitch and playing. Um, I think one of the biggest advantages to that is just your overall understanding of how your team needs to work. Um, you study your team so much more because you're putting together the drills that you think that you need. Um, you're trying to evaluate the players around you. And I think that leads to a bigger understanding of, how you need to play on uh, on the pitch with them. Um, so I would say that's the big advantage to being a player coach, uh, just because you have that greater perspective. Now, it is a lot more responsibility, and you don't have the flexibility of freedom. You know, if you're a right winger to go out there and, and just focus on making this dribble and hitting the shot, you know, there's so much more going on around you, but I do believe it's advantageous. Exactly. Yeah, just being a player on the pitch in general. I mean, look at look at um, uh, Andrea Pirlo at, at Juventus. I mean, it's Frank Lampard at Chelsea. I mean, or used to be at Chelsea. Um, players nowadays are actually starting to get a much better repertoire when it comes to getting bigger clubs. I know that some uh, big clubs like Chelsea, they're having that gamble but i mean hey some of them have it's paid off like for example uh rangers just smack celtic in in scotland and they're just using steven gerrard it's it's absolutely crazy and so uh going back to the playing days is there anything that stood out to you as a player that was good for you yeah i think one of my proudest moments was um kind of development of my high school team. Um, so my high school did not have a team uh, prior to about the time I was in ninth grade. And the friend that had recruited me to, to play on the club team, uh, we kind of got together and said, why don't we just push for this? And we ended up getting a, a lot of interest and developed a team that ninth grade year and got out there and lost every single game. So it was certainly tough to go. Um but by the time, you know, I turned around to my junior year, we were in the playoffs. We were very competitive um, to the point where my senior year, I believe we lost one game. Um, we wow. lost one game at home, turned around and beat that team back at, at their place. But we got all the way, kind of breezed through to the state final. Um, wow. And it was just awesome to experience that, that success. And, that one team that had beaten us in the season, yet again, we were up against them in the state final. They had made it through on the other side of the bracket. Um, and we got out there, and after 90 minutes, it was 1-1. After 120 minutes, it was still 1-1. Um, we were exhausted by the end of that weekend, having played a couple of games already. And, yeah. man, we got to the, we got to the uh, penalty shootout and lost in sudden death 7-6. So oh. it was... It was a heartbreaker. Um, I think I was more heartbroken my 11th grade year because we were so good and lost out in the final four. Um, but I was so happy with the development of that team. 
um, coming out of a region that doesn't um, have a lot of soccer interest from families around there, not big soccer culture. Mm-hmm. We were able to develop that and make it to the state final and really compete for that ring. And I was just so happy by the end of that trip. Yeah, it's that, that as as Drake would put it, you really did start from the bottom there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's something that I really wanted to add something to. Uh, when it comes to the U.S., there are some areas that don't have any soccer at all. Like personally, for example, uh, I lived in West Virginia for a year and I literally had to go to the next county over to just be a coach. <laughs> like the, the county I even lived in had zero soccer at all. So being someone that has come with the building up a soccer club persona, how much so and as well to uh as a side point, seeing all of that development, do you think that there's a lot of potential with the U.S., even though there are some of these areas that don't have any soccer at all? Absolutely. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about it from two points. Um, the first point, kind of simple, uh, the U.S. has money to invest in the sport. Um, so, you know, you see the likes of all of these players that have experienced great success coming over to the States to play. It's because we have the money to pay them. And while the longevity of the league doesn't, um, hinge on those players because they are at the, the end of their career, it does generate a lot of interest and therefore a lot of capital to help get those younger players in and spend more money developing them. So, I think that that does provide good benefit uh, in the long term, maybe not so much short term, but I do think that's a, a good positive. Um, the second thing that I think the, the U.S. Soccer Federation is really working on, and this is the biggest problem to me, um, is the lack of soccer culture. Mm. Uh, I mean, for instance, every other country calls it football and we call it soccer. Uh, it's, typically a a brand new term uh, in a lot of households. So I think that the biggest challenge is really just developing that soccer culture. And that's something that takes time. We as Americans think that that's going to happen overnight. Um, But I do think we are on the right track. Oh, good. Yeah, that's, I, I fully agree. And that was also something that just for me personally, resource wise, we do have the resources. We just need to be able to concentrate those resources into the areas that we need. Like, for example, there is, uh, in, in 2016, uh, I, Iceland, a country that has a population smaller than Corpus Christi, Texas, uh, qualified for the World Cup. So, <laughs> It's just, it's, it's crazy to me how these smaller countries can have that kind of investment, uh, like Iceland did and make it to a World Cup. It was their first World Cup, uh, and teams like the U.S. that we have this, uh, big, huge money pit basically, uh, and we aren't investing in the right areas. I, I think that we are on the right track, like you said. Uh, it's just we aren't investing in the proper areas. So with that being said, do you feel that there is anything that is hindering the U.S. Uh, in particular? Like, is there anything that is really standing out to you uh, as a player and a coach? 
Yeah, I mean, one of the things that you just said, Iceland qualifying for it, their player pool can't be that big, right? And you think about how big America is and you say, oh my gosh, there's so many people, like surely you can find the talent to get the job done. <laughs> I don't think that the quality of the player pool is where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I said, I think the U.S. Soccer Federation, U.S. Youth Soccer is really working to improve that. Uh, with their latest set of, of guidance and practice drills and so on and so forth. They're really focusing on getting kids on the pitch and playing as many, you know, natural game time minutes as possible. Yep. Um, you know, the way I grew up, we would go out there, we would do this drill and that drill, and we'd stand around between it and not really play, you know, a lot of time with the ball at our feet. Mm-hmm. And while you do need some of that to be effective and and practicing different routines, I think just kids need more time playing the game. Um, And so I've certainly kind of altered my practices to approach it from that perspective of making sure the kids are are out there playing 3v3, 7v7, whatever it may be. Uh, And I think the more kids we get, you know, between the ages of, of five and, and 20 to get out there and just experience more playing minutes. I think the more, the more culture you will provide and the more experience that will help them. Mm-hmm. I fully, yeah, I fully agree because that is something that I've been learning as well. Cause I've been uh, updating my coaching licenses as well. And I have been really, really impressed with the United States soccer federation uh, they are promoting what's called a play practice play method, which is basically, uh, at least two thirds of the practice that you are going to be holding is p- playing a game basically. It's just a mock game, uh, with any kind of, uh, situation, 7v7, 9v9, 11v11, it doesn't matter. Um, having that mentality of being able to practice the game like, se- game like settings is huge it's huge having that practice there um so as a coach i wanted to pick your brain a little bit uh and ask if there is anything that you have learned within the past five years that you yourself feel is essential for any soccer player any advice that you feel is essential that that every single soccer player no matter how young or old they are it's it needs to be known the number one piece of advice I give any soccer player um, is very simple. Um, it's not something that we haven't all thought of, but it's something you need to spend time developing is use both of your feet. If you get out there and you have a fantastic right foot and you can dribble and you can shoot and you can pass with your right foot, yeah, that's great. But when you're getting down the pitch and you're going against a smart defender and you only have a right foot, they are not at all worried about you cutting one way. They've narrowed it down, and you are that much easier to defend against. On the other side of the pitch, if you're in front of the goal and you're trying to make a clearance with your weak left foot, the odds are way more likely that you're about to get an own goal by hitting into the back of the net. Mm -hmm. So without a doubt, the best tool in the sport of soccer is being able to use not only both your feet but your entire body. Yeah, that, and I feel like that is something that – that we do need to improve on too. It's and even personally for me as well. When I played, uh, I I was really good with my right, and it, I did lack a little bit with the left. 
Um, and yeah, you're a hundred percent right with that. That is something that everyone needs to know. Um, and so, uh, with that, that's actually my last question, uh, for this interview section. Um, I will be right back and we will get a game show going on. So, uh, we'll be right back. All right. And we are back now, uh, for our last section with Brandon Brown today. Uh, and that is going to be a PK shootout. So for those of you that don't know, uh, the PK shootout is going to be a fun interactive game show with the host, myself, and the guest for the episode. And we will be, uh, asking questions to each other, uh, in a PK shootout quote unquote format. Uh, and whoever gets the most right wins. Um, the questions are set up as the question itself, and then the answers uh, are set up as the goal itself. So the top left, top right, bottom left, bottom right uh, are the answers instead of A, B, and C, and so on and so forth. Um, Brandon, do you have any questions before we start? I don't. I would say uh, my trick of the trade is I go bottom right every time, but I feel like you're not going to let me do that today. <laughs> no, 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 no. You can't do that. You can't do that. Um, <laughs> alrighty. Um, so as the guest, um, would you like to ask for first or would you like to kick first? All right. I'll, uh, I'll ask first. Okay. I got my keeper gloves on. Oh, no. <sighs> alrighty. Ready for this? Yes, sir. Who is the current reigning African champion? Oh. Top right, Egypt. Bottom right, Ghana. Top left, Nigeria. Bottom left, Algeria. Ooh. The current reigning African champion. Oh, that's a good one. I don't think it's... I want to knock out Egypt first off. Because I don't think they won it. Or no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Um, what were the other two again? I apologize. Or the other three again? Yeah. Egypt, Ghana, Nigeria, Algeria. Ooh. Has Algeria won it? That's the question. Oh, that, that'll make me look so stupid if it was Algeria this year. Um... I'm not going to spend that much time on it. Uh, I'm confident. I think it's Nigeria. Oh, my keeper gloves came in handy. No. Actually, Algeria. No. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, this is a nightmare. Oh, no. All right. That was a tough one. Tough one to start. That was a tough one. All right. Now I know the caliber that I'm going to be uh, going up against, which makes this next question uh, even more stupid that I even gave you a layup. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, hopefully the later ones stump you. Uh, so my first question uh, is a layup. And again, like I said uh, before we actually recorded, uh, if you don't get this one right, uh, there will be some questions asked. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, when someone asks about the red side of Manchester, which team are they referring to? Uh, top left, Manchester City. Top right, Manchester United. Bottom left, Liverpool. Bottom right, Chelsea. Let's go top right. 
Top right, Manchester or Manchester United. I actually almost said Manchester City. I am so sorry. <laughs> uh, yes, top right, Manchester United. You are correct. All right, Golazo. Yes. So one all, all or right. not one all, one zero. Goodness, one zero. One zero, one nil. All right. Next up, how many World Cups has a U.S. women's national team won? So we'll go top right two, bottom right three, top left four, or bottom left five. How many World Cups has a U.S. women's national team won? Okay. So process of elimination. I know for a fact the badge had four before the World Cup that they had recently. Oh, that's a good thought. And then they ended up winning the last one. Uh, so I think it's bottom right, five. Ah, oh, so close. It is actually four. No! Oh, no. This is, uh, <laughs> this is turned to a bad idea. <laughs> uh, oh, dang. All right. I think the, the latest quest you've seen may have four. Okay, that might have been it because I think it, okay, so, I think the crest that had it, it was three, and then the gold one up top. I yes. think that's yes. what it was. Okay, so I just mistaked it for a fourth on the bottom, and then the top one was gold. Okay, that makes sense. All right, well, uh, one zero with the possibility of going two zero up. Um, hopefully this next question is a lot uh, harder for you. So question number two for me is going to be who won – the inaugural MLS Cup, not the Supporter Shield. The inaugural MLS Cup season in 1996. Top left, DC United. Top right, LA Galaxy. Bottom left, Tampa Bay Mutiny. Or bottom right, the New York Cosmos. Hmm. I'm going to narrow it down to the first two, DC United and LA Galaxy. Okay. Oh, hope I have my shooting boots on for this one. Let's go LA Galaxy. LA Galaxy. You had the possibility to go 2-0 up, and I saved it. Holy crap. (laughs) Uh, Uh, The answer was DC United, though, so you had it down to Um, 50-50. And I... I thought maybe by chance, I, I, if you had done a little bit of, of research beforehand for the inaugural season, uh, the Tampa Bay Mutiny actually won the Supporter Shield. Uh, so, so that's, so that's why I said MLS Cup, not Supporter Shield. So I definitely didn't want any controversy first episode, uh, with, <laughs> with this. <laughs> okay. So I, I saved myself there a little bit. Uh, let's go ahead. Uh, third question for you. All right. Let's come back to uh, modern day. Okay. Who is the current number one ranked national men's team? Is it top right, Brazil? Bottom right, Belgium? Top left, France? Or bottom left, Portugal? Okay. I feel like I feel like if I don't go with this one, and it's if I don't go with this one and it's right, it's going to make me look 
very bad. My conscious, my conscious will not let me answer anything else other than France because they won the last World Cup. Is that your final answer? That is my final answer. Oh, and I saved it again. Actually, this team has dominated over the international break. It is Belgium. Really? They're number one? They are a stacked team right now. Wow. Okay. I Consciously, I can go down with that one. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> I can, I can uh, live with that one. Alrighty. I think the next two may be easier for you, so I'm gonna have to hold it together and get some answered on my side. Okay, hopefully, 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 I've I've picked up, or I've I've uh, built up the pressure on the last ones. Uh, alrighty. So, dang, I still have yet to get one. That's okay. All right. So, my third question is: Who was the first signed designated player in the MLS? Kaka. Andre Perlo, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, or David Beckham? Mm-hmm. I'm going to narrow it down to Beckham and Kaka. Okay. Uh, da, 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 da. I don't know. I mean, Beckham came before Kaka. Uh, all right, let's... Let's go for it. Let's say Beckham. Final answer? Final answer. Yep, you got it. Oh. Let's go. Oh, dang it. I thought I was going to get you. That's okay, though. <laughs> All right. All right. 2-0. Got a, got a two-goal lead. Let's see if I can hold it together. I have to score this. I have to. We'll still keep it's going, but, but I have right, to score you got it. it. All right, so here's a here's a toss up for you. Sweet. Who is not a traditional top six team in England? Okay. Top right, Manchester City. Bottom right, Arsenal. Top left, Everton. Or bottom left, Tottenham. Who is not considered one of the top six in England? Okay, so this is going off modern day. Yes. Okay. And this, I feel is not, this is not based on the current points table, but just okay. generally considered who is called, who is not part of that top six. Okay. Oof. Well, um, I feel like with that first answer, though, that was a, a small stab, a small dig towards Manchester City. I appreciate that. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... I know that this is going to get a few Everton fans mad at me. I know that they were successful early on, but as of lately though, basically the only, with with Carlo Ancelotti, that's been their success. Although Tottenham, man, which way did you go with this question? That's it's down to Tottenham or Everton. And I don't know which way you went with this. Alright, I think that you know it, but give me your final answer. Oh no. Everton. It is Everton. Good job. Woo! Okay, sweet. 
I got one. <laughs> Alrighty. That was a right. must score. Yeah, that was a must score. Holy crap. Um, okay. So, alright. I feel like these last two, it may get me back in it. So it's 2-1, correct? It is. Okay, 2-1. And my fourth question is, what is the nickname of Atlanta United? The two-step? The Red and Black Army? The Rebels? Or the Five Stripes? So, if I could actually show you right now, I have a 2019 Atlanta United sweatshirt on at this moment. Let's go. (laughs) So I'm going to go ahead and lock this in with the five stripes. The five stripes. Final answer. And you are right. That is correct. There was was no poking around with that one. You got it. Um, Got it. (laughs) Yep, that was correct. All right. Well... Uh, I'm in a pickle. I can't come back. That's okay, though. I think I've won it. Let's go. Yes, yes, you have. You won the inaugural uh, PK shootout on, on the Warm Burner podcast. Would you like to continue? Yeah, I got one more question for you. We'll see if you can get this one. Sweet. All right, so... How far did the U.S. men's national team make it in Brazil during the World Cup? The Brazil World Cup, how far did they make it to the group stage, the round of 16, the quarterfinals, or the semifinals? It was a heartbreaking loss. It was a heartbreaking loss to Belgium. Um I'm going to go ahead and lock it, round of 16. Well done, sir. Good job. Okay. Because I wanted to say – you have no idea how badly I want to say quarterfinals, but I was just like, wait, hold on a second. Belgium went against Argentina the next round, and we would have been murdered if we got them. (laughs) (laughs) So round of 16 it was. All right. Yes. Okay. 3-2. I fought back a little bit. I'll be honest. Um. Alrighty, sweet. Um, final question to see if you can go uh, 4-2 and uh, just assert the dominance with the PK shootout. <laughs> which MLS club – or I'm sorry, which two MLS clubs have won the North American Champions League? So I know that it's been reformatted a couple times uh, since it was created, but this is overall – like I, the classification of the North American Champions League is all of the reformats, all of them. So, your answers are uh, top left, the LA Galaxy and DC United. Top right, the LAFC and Toronto FC. Bottom left, DC United and Toronto FC. Or bottom right, LA Galaxy and Toronto FC. If you need any of those repeated, ask me. That's a tough one. I'm glad I'm not shooting this for the winner. Uh, <laughs> let's go bottom left. Bottom left. That is DC United and Toronto FC? Yes. 
All right. And you are incorrect. Uh. It is the LA Galaxy and DC United. They have actually, they won both of them before the reformat in 08, I believe. I think it was. And so, yeah, it's something that even I had to dig for. <laughs> Cause, you got uh, me I, on that one. So I had to, I had to. This is the last question. Um, <laughs> well, awesome. Uh, I really appreciate this time, Brandon. Thank you so much for being on the Worm Burner podcast. Uh, is there anything that you wanted to shout out personally uh, before I let you go? Yeah, absolutely. Super excited about this podcast. Glad that you're running with this. Look forward to seeing what else is in your future. And uh, we'll give a shout-out to Shoals Soccer Club and see what else we got this coming season. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brandon. All right. See ya. See ya. With the end to the interview being here, uh, I wanted to take the time again to thank Brandon for having uh, the time and appreciation to be on the podcast. Uh, and I want to move on to the final section of the episode. It's going to be our extra man advice of the week. Uh, and being in the same ballpark of what the last thing Brandon had said, uh, I want to bring in the advice of being willing to try new things. Uh, his, Brandon's last point, if you don't remember, was being someone that was fluent with all parts of their body, uh, being able to read how the ball was going to bounce, uh, as well as being able to control what needs to happen within the pitch itself. Being able to try new things is something that not a lot of people uh, have that mentality for. They, as Brendan Ted said, they are comfortable with one thing and one thing only, and they stay with that one thing that makes you predictable in soccer. And uh, I don't want to be really rehashing what Brandon had said, but long story short, when you see those videos of Neymar doing some crazy, crazy skill, or maybe even a long, long shot by either Wayne Rooney or David Beckham or somebody like that, don't be scared to try it. Go out into a pitch or, or somewhere, just ping a ball towards a goal. Just practice 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 it doesn't doesn't matter it doesn't matter try new things always 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 and don't be scared of failure that is something that i wish i wish american soccer really put an emphasis on do not be scared to fail do not ever 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 be scared to fail that is something that at least in my opinion uh beckons back to something that uh, a man by the name of Francis Bacon had said, and he said that uh, nothing is to be feared but fear itself. And once you overcome that fear, the world is your oyster. Try new things. Be that expressive, flamboyant kind of player, uh, willing to try out a new skill every so often just to be the player. Um, so with that being said, Thank you so much. This was a much longer episode with the interview, uh, but if you made it this far, thank you, thank you, thank you. A million times thank you for listening to the podcast, and I look so forward to seeing you next week, and much appreciated. Ciao, everyone.